From the Cairo Radio Newsroom in Seattle, I'm Dave Ross, and these are the Ross Files. A lot of you may not be aware of this, but there are fishermen, fisherpersons in this town who are really upset over plans to build a copper mine near Bristol Bay, Alaska, which, Mark, how would you describe Bristol Bay? Bristol Bay is the last fully intact wild salmon run on the planet. Mark Titus is the director and producer of a film called The Wild, which is going to be premiered at the Seattle International Film Festival, right? That's right. Um, And we're just able to announce that today, and it's going to be premiering May 19th. All right. Now tell me how you came to be interested in this copper mine in Bristol Bay and why you think it's so dangerous. I started going to Bristol Bay when I was 18 years old. It's kind of the tradition here in the Northwest to go work in the canneries. It has been for some time, and I did that. I worked for three summers in Bristol Bay, fell in love with Alaska, and um, continued my love affair for wild salmon that began here as a kid growing up in Puget Sound, and um, married that with my vocation as a filmmaker back in 2014 with a film called The Breach. Mm -hmm. Subsequently, uh, during the current administration, when the um, a new administration came into office in 2016, what were safety measures put in place to protect Bristol Bay were rescinded uh, almost immediately under then uh, EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt with a one-hour meeting with the CEO of this pebble mine, the mine in question at the headwaters of Bristol Bay. And I knew I had to continue telling this story to um, make people aware of what's at stake here. I know that uh, certainly in my circle of friends, they've had their kids go up to Bristol Bay and do what you did and work in the canneries and see the fishery. But I, I dare say most people have not been up there or spent as much time there as you have. But in, in seeing the pictures of the number of fish that return to that area, it's, it's mind-boggling. I understand that's the way it used to be in every river back in the day. Um, but can you? is there a way you can describe and in a meaningful way, just how robust that fishery is? Numbers don't even really do it justice. I mean, they're, you know, they're squiggles on a page. Um, But last year alone, 65 million, this is in 2018, 65 million sockeye, not kings, silvers, pinks, chums, just sockeye returned to Bristol Bay. And over the last five years, over 250 million have returned to Bristol Bay. Um, it's peaking. It's in, it's in perfect shape. And that's the whole point. This is a system that, if left alone, could continue to regenerate food. And this creature that we venerate here in the Pacific Northwest is an icon. But at this very moment, a copper mine in its headwaters, where these salmon go to spawn, is being pushed through, yeah. So it's the Pebble Mine, and they, of course, will contend that they have they are planning to take every possible safety measure to make sure it doesn't pollute. But the the controversial part is this giant lagoon that they have to build for the copper tailings, correct? Yeah. Okay. So what kind of stuff is in that lagoon, and why do you not believe them when they say that the dam will will hold and that none of that uh, effluent We'll get into the fishery. Pool is kind of underserved. It's more like a lake. Um, it would have to have, if they're going for the entire resource there, it would have to have an earthen dam made out of dirt mm-hmm. as tall as the Space Needle and miles across. Okay, And that would have to be maintained long after the life of the mine has exhausted itself in perpetuity in a seismic zone. We know from data that earthen dams of these types have failed all over the country, most recently this last year in Brazil. I saw the pictures of that. It was an incredible disaster. 
So what's inside of that, there's all kinds of effluent inside of there, but what's most salient for the salmon is that it's going to have copper and uh, leftovers from the mining uh, that has been done on the site. Copper is particularly toxic to salmon. It destroys their ability to smell, which is their single way they find their way home and make new life. The EPA's stand, you say that they've, uh, they've recently changed their minds on this based on evidence or a whim or what? This is kind of a complicated story, and I'll make it as simple as I can. Um, the EPA invoked the Clean Water Act um, ruling in uh, 2015 and said that um, they did a three-year scientific watershed assessment and said basically that a large-scale open-pit copper mine like this, low-grade sulfur mine, in Bristol Bay would not coincide well with a fishery. In fact, it would be disastrous. Mm -hmm. So they put in place um, a position saying that we're going to preemptively stop development of that and permitting of that. Mm -hmm. Again, under this uh, the, the newer administration, um, they uh, the EPA at that time said, you know, hey, we're going to we're going to ignore that. And then they came back and said, no, we're going to enforce that. But what, what's most important right now is that. Uh, the folks at the Pebble Mine um, wanted to simply be able to get their chance to have to go into the permitting process. Mm -hmm. And um, that's exactly where they are right now. I see. So the original decision would have stopped them from even initiating the permitting process. Right. And now they've been given the green light to at least try. That's right. So this doesn't guarantee it will actually be built. It doesn't. Um, but, the again, the, the most salient point here is that once in the United States, once a mine has gotten into the permitting process that Pebble's in currently, it has been permitted every single time. So this seems like a lock to you. Well, it it gets my attention, and it gets the attention of pretty much everybody that has been involved in this resistance for oh, you know almost decades now. Now, who is involved in the resistance? Because sure. what, what, what sometimes happens is the environmentalists, the, the fishermen, don't want the mine, but the locals do because it creates jobs. It's such a good question. Um we know this well down here in Puget Sound um, in terms of salmon, right? The right. Uh, commercial fishermen are fighting with the sport fishermen. Everybody's fighting with the tribes. Everybody's fighting for their allotment. And meanwhile, missing the whole point of the necessity for habitat. And up here in Bristol Bay, all of these groups have come together in an unprecedented way. So they're not battling one another. And, and the folks on the ground, 80% of the residents of Bristol Bay do not want this mine despite the fact that it would bring high-paying jobs for a select amount of people for up to 20 years under their current plan. So there is really no core of local support for this? There is some. And, um, and there, that typically is uh, by folks that are, are the closest proximity to oh. the actual mine site who would benefit from those jobs. And, of course, um, you know, it's in Pebble's best interest to go and incentivize people in the region with monetarily uh, and gift-wise to... Uh, gift-wise? Are you talking bribes? Not bribes. No, oh. no, not at all. Um, but, uh, you know, being a good steward of the uh, community and, you know, helping, mm -hmm. you know, contribute to infrastructure and... Um, so they're building local projects to... Yeah. ...curry so, favor with local people. That sort of thing, yeah. Hmm. All right, so the agenda of your film. Obviously, anybody who comes to see this film is is going to come away hating the whole idea of this copper mine, right? Um, it's really, it's really something that you use that word because, um, the, the central question in this film is exact opposite of hate. Oh. The central question is how do you save what you love? Oh. So it's, 
definitely not about it's not an anti-mining film it's not an anti-corporate film it's it is an inclusive film about connecting to that thing in our heart space that we love and we know we can't live without we know that we have a glimpse of that here in the pacific northwest salmon are our icons and we're watching them leave us as the orcas are starving, as our runs are dwindling because of what we've done to them. Bristol Bay still has a chance. And for anybody that has that spark of love for something that's bigger than themselves, this film is for them. Who did you talk to up there? When I was filming this in 2017, I reached out to folks that are on the ground that really represent the... um, the hub of this uh, fishery. So I talked to um, a native uh, subsistence uh, fisherman, a leader in in the culture up there, Alana Hurley. I talked to a commercial drift fisherman who I spent um, over a week on his boat filming, um, a processor and um, a set netter, and a a woman that owns a a fishing lodge up there, a a world record setting uh, fly fishing guide uh, named Nancy Morris Lyon. I also... Strangely enough, was able to sit down with an interview with uh, the CEO of the Pebble Mine. You were, and the chairman of the board. Yeah, they didn't give me a, an interview when I was filming the breach in 2014, but they did for the Wild in this one. And uh, did you find them to be reasonable people? Absolutely. Yeah, they were. They were kind and polite, and um, you know, and would trustworthy. Trustworthy people. Um, that's a. I, I think that we have to frame that in in a way that they are doing what they need to do for their shareholders. So I think on the street as a human being, sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, in terms of am I going to take their word that nothing's going to go wrong and uh, possibly destroy the world's last fully intact salmon run? No. Did they offer any guarantees? No, they won't offer guarantees. Um, and the question really comes down to risk. Are you willing to take this risk? And of course, they have a vested interest in this. They stand to make over $500 billion if they fully exploit. It's a lot of money. Yeah, this resource. Whereas the guys downstream, the people downstream that have been relying on the salmon that have been coming back there from time immemorial have nothing to gain if this if this fails. And frankly, if if it if it wins, they have nothing to gain. They're not going to get anything out of it. Well, with that kind of money, though, should there be a breach, they would have ample funds to clean it up the way Exxon did with the Valdez accident. I think the difference between Exxon Valdez and this particular instance here is that that would be an ongoing – Exxon Valdez, that's an ongoing resource. That's, you know, the oil industry that they have is, is diversified. This is one source, one, one source point. And as has been seen in so many mines over the course of history here in the last hundred years, once that resource is depleted, the mine company either goes bankrupt or just moves on to the next thing. And if something disastrous happens, once their pool that has been allotted, and remember, this has to be, this has to be maintained in perpetuity, right. not just for a hundred years. Once that pool is gone, there's only one source to pay for this, and that's us, the taxpayer, most most specifically starting with the people that live in the region who haven't benefited at all. They're going to have to pay up to clean it up. And and what's the answer of the Pebble Mine executives to that prospect, that um, it would have to be maintained for 100 years or more? when, When pressed on this, they go back to the same thing over and over again, which is we have the technology 
to do better and to make this safe and such that nothing will happen. And the picture that we paint in this film, which ties into my own personal story of recovery in this film and the idea that as human beings, we keep doing things over and over and over again, expecting a different result. And ultimately, in this case, this is the last of its kind. This salmon run is the last of its kind. If this goes wrong and something happens and they uh, were not correct about their technology, that's it. Perhaps they would sign a document holding themselves and their heirs financially and legally responsible for any future breach of that dam. Perhaps um, we could pass those out at Christmas to the tribal folks that you know don't have salmon on their plates anymore, too. Mark Titus is the director and producer of a film called The Wild. And when is it? Uh, when's its premiere at the Seattle Film Festival? We're having our world premiere on May 19th at the Egyptian Theater at 1.30 p.m. And two subsequent screenings, uh, May 21st and May 26th. And we're just thrilled to be premiering at SIF. It's a hometown celebration. Yeah. Mark, thank you. Thank you, Dave. Remember that when there's a longer version of the interviews on Seattle's Morning News, you can usually find it right here in the original form, unconstrained by the limitations of a live broadcast. And you can subscribe so that when someone says, did you hear what was on Seattle's Morning News, you can say, not only that, I heard the part that wasn't on Seattle's Morning News. So my advice is to subscribe. And then when we talk to an author, a politician, an entrepreneur, an artist, a scientist, a teacher, a journalist, a celebrity, you'll hear every word. I'm Dave Ross. Thanks for tuning in.